Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Dogs Unknown. I'm Sarah Frazier, joined by fellow host Brian Burton, and we have some great guests today. But before we introduce them, just want to talk about the frame up today's episode as we normally do. So uh, leash reactivity is one of the most common issues we encounter as dog behavior consultants, and that leash reactivity meaning dogs who display behavior like lunging and barking at other dogs or people or skateboards or bicycles on leash. If you've never owned a dog who lunges and barks at particularly at other dogs on walks, you've probably thought certain things when you encounter them when you're out and about with your own dog. So things like what's wrong with that dog? Why is their owner allowing them to behave that way? They really should go and get some training. But what if we told you that you and your very friendly dog might actually be contributing to the issue? Keep that question in mind. So today I'm so happy to welcome our guest. So repeat guest Jessica Wheatcraft, who is a certified dog behavior consultant of Instinct at Instinct San Diego and has a very special interest in leash reactivity and helping trainers learn to work with leash reactivity in particular, but obviously helping clients with the issue as well. Ella Torado, who's a certified trainer for Instinct Hudson Valley, also very interested in leash reactivity as an issue and helping clients with that. And Jenna Slutsky of Certified trainer from Instinct Nashville, also with a special interest in leash reactivities. You can tell why all these folks are here today. Um, yeah, and I think for both of us as well, because I would say yes. probably about sixty percent of our client base over the last fifteen years has been leash reactivity. So thousands and thousands of dogs. So Absolutely. very exciting. Yes. So before we get into the ways that non-reactive dogs and owners might be contributing to leash reactivity issues, let's start by clearing up just a few myths and maybe misconceptions about leash reactive dogs and their owners. So said again at the outset, leash reactivity truly is one of the most common issues that people come to us for help with. And a lot of our clients truthfully experience a ton of judgment. They receive a lot of really disparaging comments when they're out and about with their dog on walks. People assume things about them. People assume things about their dog based on the reactivity that they're seeing. So starting off, um, opening up, up this question to the group, what do we feel are some of the most common myths or misconceptions about leash reactive dogs and their owners? I think one of them, you said it in the opening, that they are not good dogs and that their owners are not doing enough of them. When quite frankly, like they are outside and they're probably trying. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think that's probably one of the most common ones with with the dog dog and owner, right? There's judgment coming at both of them. Yeah. And at the dog in particular, I think a lot of times it's really quick in that snapshot because that's all they see of your of the dog. They don't see the whole picture of who this dog is and what they love and what they're like when they wake up in the morning and like snuggle with their owner on the couch or all those other things. You know, it's easy to just throw in a judgment of like, ugh, that's a bad dog or that's a mean dog. Yeah. Because that's what they see is sort of the, that display of lunging and barking. Yeah. And we'll talk more about this later too, because there's definitely, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between someone who's actually working through stuff and maybe someone who is actually maybe ignoring the problem or doesn't know how to move forward. So we'll talk more about that later. So I can sort of, I can sort of get where that might come from, but we'll talk more about that in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dog piece. Does anyone want to talk a little bit more about the the judgment sort of that owners receive or the misconceptions about owners of dogs with leash reactivity. I mean, you hit on it a bit, Ella, but maybe we can just expand on that a little if anyone has additional thoughts. I know before I was a trainer and, you know, my journey with my reactive dog is what led me into this industry in the first place. And so just navigating that situation, things that I would hear kind of bounced back when my dog would have a barky lungy episode was you know, it was things like, I can't control that dog. My dog is 120 pounds. I am also around that weight. And so there was that insecurity that is kind of sparked when you hear something like that. And I am really holding my ground and trying to keep this dog under control and doing my best. And I think other things that I would hear was that I shouldn't have that dog in public. Why do I have a dog that I can't manage, that I can't control? Kind of like, what am I even doing here? Yeah. 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 I'm sure that will resonate, Jenna, with a lot of people listening who actually do have dogs who they're maybe working on leash reactivity um, as an issue. Because one of the things we all know about behavior issues is just because you start working on an issue doesn't mean it immediately goes away or that the frequency drops to zero. You know, those episodes are going to happen and some sometimes more than others, depending on the walk. So it, it's a process, but people don't see the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting that, uh, you know, Jenna, that you bring up the the word control, because I feel like that's a big uh, word when it comes to leash activity cases as a lot of people want to have control over their dogs or people that see somebody whose dog is having a reactive episode feel like there's very little control happening without, I think, really understanding how many variables are going on in the environment at that one time that the owner has zero control over. And so I find that to be just such an interesting word when it comes to leash reactivity, because it's, it's very loaded, but it, there's, yeah, like I said, there's so many things that the handler doesn't actually have control over. And I feel like the dog's behavior is, is only one component of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think some other things just that People can tend to think if you've never had this experience, you just don't know, right? So like, Mm -hmm. it's understandable that you just don't have that frame of reference, but do you think it's, it's pretty common for people to also maybe think like, yeah, oh, that owner's just completely checked out or they don't care about the issue. You know, they don't Mm -hmm. care that it's happening or there can be this assumption that this owner somehow created the, the issue. Oh, she just doesn't let them say hello to dogs often enough. So of course that dog has an issue or, oh, it's the way she's handling him. So of course he's lunging and barking at other dogs or, you know, oh, he must just be really inexperienced and and that wouldn't happen to me. Because again, we just don't know until we're in those shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think those are some common ones. Yeah. And I think just to echo Jenna's like back when I had Sammy long time ago, we've talked about Sammy on a previous podcast, but he was least reactive and uh, definitely got those comments. Like people, you know, at that time, especially like no one had any idea who I was when I had Sammy and he lunged and barked at someone. So people would give like unsolicited advice. They would say sort of those mean things that you said, Jenna, and it can be like really deflating. And I think especially for people just sort of trying to work through it, doing their best, those unsolicited pieces of advice and comments can really land wrong and they're probably going to land wrong. And so I think when people give that advice, it sort of falls into two buckets. I do think there are people who are legitimately trying to help because I know we've had our clients talk to like, they said like, Oh, I saw a dog reacting. I told them to go to instinct. You're like, well, you know, I don't know how, how, I I appreciate the referral, but I don't don't know how that's going to land with someone or if they're even looking for help or doing those things. But sometimes people are just looking to help. And so if you are one of those uh, owners on the call, we'll talk a little bit more about that sort of as we move forward. And then I think uh, at other times, I think it's almost like redirected aggression on the owner. Like some some of the comments I think are meant to land sort of meanly. And if that's the goal, you know, probably job well done because it actually does hurt a lot. Um, I think when when people get those comments. And I would say sometimes those come from a place of actual fear, right? If, yes. if someone really is having trouble maintaining physical control over their dog during a reaction and they are getting really close to your dog or they've gotten really close to you or you're walking your child or whatever it might be, I can see where that, again, really redirected aggression back could be, this is scary, yeah, right? Like I feel scared. I'm going to say something to you to let some of that emotion out. But then I think there's another side that truly is just kind of judgment from a lack of understanding and empathy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would agree with everything that that we all sort of shared there. And I think um, moving on from that, if we can maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, if what we're saying is that, hold up, most of the time, these aren't just mean dogs or bad dogs, and these aren't just irresponsible owners or, you know, incompetent owners by any stretch of the imagination. So if we think about it, though, like, what are some of the most common reasons that we see in terms of, you know dogs being reactive to certain things in their environment. So many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like like, you want a general, like a vague or very specific example. We can do a little bit of both. Maybe we start general and then go specific. So generally, like I would say fear of frustration, being afraid of, you know, a man coming towards them or getting frustrated that they cannot greet or meet something that they would consider very reinforcing. And because they are restricted on the leash, it builds up frustration. And then it starts to display in a reactive, what would look aggressive to a lot of people way. Yeah, absolutely. I would put those up there as two of the most common. I know again, to Jessica's point, there's lots more, but Ella, I think you hit the nail on the head there with, with two of the most common reasons that we see. How about others or how about expanding on those two? 
I think another one that I think about a lot is I think just the, the rate of exposure that we're exposing our dogs to things on leash and just how different our lifestyles are with dogs, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, you know, we just, we ask a lot of our dogs. We take them um, on leash in very, very busy places because we changed how we live with dogs and think that it's perfectly acceptable to, you know, to have them in, in very dense areas. Um, and so I think to me, a lot of it is normal. It's, you know, you, you, you take a, a dog, an animal that, um, you know, as when they're going out in public and if the significant amount of their exercise is on leash, it's a very restrictive way for a dog to live. Um, so I think that's a, a huge part of it is just the lifestyle that we have with dogs. Yeah. Well said. And that's sort of backing up even it's like, well, of course there may be fear or frustration if mm-hmm. there's some of these preceding factors that are setting the stage for that to occur. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I, I I think that's. I think about that a lot too, Jessica. Just about because you know a lot of times in different online trainer forums or things, people say like, "Why has leash activity increased so much in recent years?" And I, I'm with you. I really honestly think it's just because one, our expectations of dogs is totally different than it was twenty some odd years ago, for sure. And and also, yeah, the environments that we're taking them to. So you know, if we're taking people are taking them to farmers markets and out on patios and birthday parties. They might even have their own birthday. <laughs> they might even have their own birthday party, but like all of these things are, can be quite challenging for a lot of dogs and especially dealing with, with novel dogs. And I also just wanted to add too, like, it's not uncommon to see things like, you know, pain. So, mm-hmm. you know, so dogs who are, you know, experiencing, you know, whether they had, maybe they have like Lyme disease or they have a sore back or they have hip dysplasia or they tore their ACL recently. Like there are, there are also physical reasons that, can make dogs feel more grumpy, just like we feel grumpy if we get a little bit sore. So I think that that's one thing to keep in mind. And a lot of times that sort of plays into maybe like the fear and frustration or can exacerbate it as well. And I think the other thing too, is just even, you know, early life experience, there's so many people who adopt dogs where we don't really have any insight into how much were they socialized? How were they socialized? What what types of environments were, were they in? So there's a whole bunch of things even before an owner gets a dog. Uh, and, and, and there are people who get puppies from very well-known places and do everything right. And they can still end up with this. So there's a genetic component as well. So I think like the fear and anxiety is sort of what we talk about a lot, but sort of why they have fear and anxiety can come back to like a lot of these other components as well. 100%. Yes, of course, there can be those dogs who have those specific negative experiences that the owner can like link it back to and say the leash reactivity started after this point. But for some of them, it's like, hey, my dog turned six, seven months old became an adolescent and just started displaying these behaviors. I think the other thing just to touch on with, because I do wholly agree with that, the piece of just the situations that we're putting dogs in. And I think it does become hard as well because, you know, there's all these like memes and just sort of it's, it's baked into our culture at this point now with saying things like, you know, pet all the dogs and like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, like people just sort of assume that they should have access to, and I don't, I get people aren't doing this maliciously. They don't think about it from the dog's perspective always, because if you haven't had a dog who responds maybe aggressively or with a lot of fear or anxiety in those situations, again, it doesn't necessarily cross your mind. But I think that sort of assumption that you should have access to, or your dog should have access to another dog that you see who you think is like cute and cuddly is a big contributor um, of dogs just having their space invaded a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we hit on some of the big ones there. So now we get into, I know we dropped a little bit of a questionable comment at the beginning about how you're, if you have a very friendly dog, uh, who, how you may be contributing to other folks' uh, leash, reactive, leash reactivity in their dogs. And I think that leads us into talking about like, what is the most or what are some of the most common hurdles that our clients run into over and over again that really impede their ability to make progress or that maybe derail and set back their progress when they're out and about with their leash reactive dogs. What comes to mind? Off Jenna, do you want to hop in? Off leash dogs is the first thing that comes to mind because that was my main sabotage. 
mm. going through that journey personally, um, followed closely by the friendly dog who, with the best of intentions and their guardian, is trying to, I would imagine, stop my dog from reacting by saying hello. But as we know, that sometimes does not go the way that they had intended it to. Yes, agreed. Those were my two. It's really those like over threshold situations that are outside of the owner's control that are kind of initiated by someone else. I, an owner either actively bringing their their friendly dog close on leash or, or yeah, an off-leash dog. And I think depending on where you live, the off-leash piece can be a huge component or not so much of a huge component. Like with us in Manhattan, thankfully, there's not a ton of leash um, off-leash dogs running up on walks on the sidewalk, but there's lots of narrow spaces and lots and lots of dogs who do get brought right up to uh, say hello, even if someone has perhaps stepped all the way off to the edge of the sidewalk or ducked between or behind a, a car. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like too, like, and I think just to make it clear, like it's not, if you don't have a leash reactive do dog, it's not your responsibility per se to sort of you know, handle that other dog. But if you're taking your dog off leash in areas where it's not supposed to be off leash, because obviously if you have a leash reactive dog, mm -hmm. you're not going to take them to, or you sh shouldn't be taking them to an area where there's dogs are legally allowed to be off leash. I know Jenna, that's not Correct. what you're talking about. This is more like Central Park in between the hours of nine and seven or whatever time it is when it's supposed to be on leash. Um, mm -hmm. And there's dogs like off, like running around that can really, really you know, make things challenging. And, uh, well, I'll see what, whatever anyone else wants to say, and then we'll talk about the go say hi, or just wants to say hi sort of situation. But <laughs> yeah, I'd like, I'd like to expand a little bit more on the off leash dogs approaching, because I, I don't know that a lot of people really understand like the relevance of why that's so intimidating for a dog that could, that is reactive on leash. And I think I would put that, especially for dogs who have who feel very unsure about other dogs. And then the leash makes the, makes it worse because there is a level of confinement and they can't move away. And for a lot of dogs who've experienced, you know, some degree of trauma with other dogs, like maybe they got attacked at a dog park. And um, after that point, they become very anxious about other dogs approaching them. And when you combine those factors of, the dog is confined by the leash. You have another dog that's moving towards them very quickly. It's it's just a recipe for that dog to have a far larger reaction than they might if they had maybe met that dog off leash or if the two dogs went on a really slow walk together, you know, something of that sort. And so when those dogs have those experiences where they feel really unsafe, in my experience, I, I tend to see that a lot of those dogs, those experiences stick with them for a period of time. So the reason why that's so relevant for people who don't have reactive dogs and who maybe have a dog that they allow off leash to then occasionally approach a dog that's on leash is that it's very possible that that dog has maybe spent months building its confidence around being in close proximity to other dogs, you're just seeing them. And then to have another dog come and make them feel totally unsafe. Um, I have known a number of dogs where that has set them back really, really far. And that's yeah. where it's unfair. Yeah. I love that you added that additional context for people, Jessica. I think that's really helpful. You know, and it makes me think of, uh, Jen, I think you touched on this a little bit initially when you talked about some of the feedback you got with your own dog who had leash reactivity issues. But I think that plays into as we sort of talk about these common hurdles where they are really challenging for people when, you know, another dog comes up uninvited on leash or runs up off leash. You know, there there can be that response, that sort of immediate reaction from folks who have friendlier dogs, because in some way we're saying, hey, I want you to impede some of the freedom that you give your dog, that they might it might be quick to to respond with something like, if your dog isn't friendly or safe, they shouldn't be out on walks or they shouldn't be out in public. So what do we say to folks in that who who have that sort of thought process? Like, hey, if your dog can't handle another dog coming up to them, they shouldn't be out. Right. How do we how do we respond to folks who have that thought? I think I think there's two sides to that that are are coming to mind. So I think on one end, if you have a dog who is reactive unleashed, but 
has maybe a significant bite history, you do as an owner of that dog have a responsibility to the general public to yes. make sure mm -hmm. that your dog is not hurting another dog. Yes. Yeah. And that probably means that your dog should be wearing a muzzle when they're out in public. Yes. And so I feel like there's to some degree, like if I'm thinking, you know, about a situation, if I put myself in both shoes and I'm thinking, you know, for some reason, my dog happened to approach another dog and gets completely mauled, then yeah, of course you would, you would, even if it was due to your own negligence by not having your dog on leash and your dog gets significant injuries, you know, there is a, a certain, you know, perception of, yeah, you shouldn't be bringing your dog out if they, if they are going to elicit that behavior. So there is some responsibility that falls on, you know, the owner of the reactive dog to make sure that they are keeping things safe. Um, but then on the, the flip side, um, if that is, is not necessarily, you know, the case, it also has to, it, it's just deeply unfair, um, for the, people who are coming out and they're following leash laws and, you know, they are being mindful about their dog and they are working with their dog. It's, it's, it's really, really deeply unfair for um, people to impose their dog on other dogs. And I don't know what the, you know, exact answer would be here in terms of um, like what we could really say to, to people like that um, in, in terms of them really understanding um, how impactful their behavior and their dog's behavior can be on, on other people. Um, so I, I might need to think about that one for a little bit more <laughs> about like what we could, you know, say to those, those, to those, to those owners. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too is, and maybe that, you know, this kind of gets back to the misconception, but I think there's a misconception that just because a dog lunges and barks sometimes on leash that they are quote unquote aggressive or have a bite history or, or are going to do serious damage. Like, I do think that's like a perception that a lot of people have. And to your point, Jessica, if there is a dog where there is that bite history and those things, this is sort of a completely different conversation about how we keep things safe and muzzles and all those sorts of things. But there's a whole bunch of dogs that might lunge and bark or be reactive on leash and actually do not have a bite history, likely wouldn't bite. Can you ever rule 100% rule out a bite for any dog? No, you can't. But the reality is, is like a lot of dogs uh, will, will not do that. And if the owner's taking them into spaces where there are supposed to be leash laws, where they can reason reasonably create space and work with them to help them feel more comfortable. Because the reality is you probably walk by leash reactive dogs every day and you don't even know because they are actually getting past the dog. They're pulling them off to the side and they're doing that. So like you just didn't see them on that particular day. But you know, if you have a dog that that dog finds particularly challenging, or maybe that dog had a rough day, or maybe they're a little sore or Whatever it is, there can be reasons why that reaction can actually happen. So no, like I don't, I don't think it's reasonable for us to say that dogs as a species should never bark at another dog or communicate that way. And knowing that, of course, there's like nuisance laws and everything, but like a, a dog doing like some rah, 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 and stopping, like that to me is is that's part of the deal for us to have dogs in our lives. Like they are going to sometimes bark and sometimes do things. And that's not to downplay all the safety things that we just spoke about, because all of that would have to be in play if we have a dog who has done that, or we feel like is likely that they could escalate. And that's always going to be there, but that's not most leash reactive dogs, like in my, in, in my experience. So I think it's sort of an unreasonable expectation to have on dogs and owners if they're taking them to places that are appropriate to take them and they are working to create space and to keep everyone safe. And I think those are the, you know, the, the, the big things there for me, yeah. at least. Well, I think you hit on the key point there that we've all sort of been touching on is like this, that statement can be true and valid in the right context and totally unfair and inappropriate in a different context. So if we're talking about like, you know, uh, an owner making that statement like, hey, if your dog isn't friendly or safe or comfortable on other dogs, they shouldn't be here. And they say that statement when you're in an off-leash dog park, valid. Mm -hmm. You and your dog shouldn't be here. That's a that's not great for either of you or for the other dogs. But if it's walking down the sidewalk where there are leash laws in effect and your dog is, and the, the leash reactive dog is being kept, you know, maintaining their own personal space bubble and not being allowed to pull up to another dog or owner, you know, by that account, I think it's important for us to all internalize that you nor your dog are entitled to invade the personal space of another person or another dog without their consent, period. Mm -hmm. 
full stop. So if you're in a place where there are leash laws, you know, where it then then don't assume that you or your dog should have access to another dog. Right. You know, but if it's a place where there's off leash allowances or if it's like a really busy, crowded, I don't know, pet store or farmer's market where there are going to be dogs there. Maybe that is a valid statement. Maybe that's not a great place for your leash reactive dog to be because that's too much. That's challenging. The environment demands a certain level of proximity that they're not okay with. Right. So I think that's, for me, that's sort of the the take on that. If you've ever said that, you may have been right. You may have been wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on the situation that you're in. Yeah. 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 And I, and I do think too, like if you're, if you got into that situation though, because you just let your dog pull up to another dog, mm-hmm. I still think regardless, like regardless, like, and if you did what we did for a living, like you would never let your dog just pull up to another dog. Mm-hmm. without asking if they're friendly. any Like, I, I don't. Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea because I know there are dogs who might even have uh, a bite history, but they don't react to dogs walking past, but they might get into scuffles when you come up close. And generally, again, these probably aren't people working with professionals because they wouldn't be putting them in these situations. They'd be using muzzles or whatever. But like, you have to be really careful about the dogs that you're saying. So like, a quick check to say like, and we'll talk, I, I know we'll talk about this as, as we mm-hmm. get a little bit further, but I do think it's important to just to sort of say there, even if you think you're entitled to invade another dog's space in these public areas for your own dog's personal safety, mm-hmm. I would strongly recommend you at least ask someone if their dog is friendly and 100%. wants to say hi. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And we'll definitely spend some more time on that yeah. um, further into the episode, but I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so, you know, we're saying all this with the assumption that Again, best practice is for your own dog's well-being, in addition to protecting the the well-being and happiness of other dogs and owners as well, is just don't let your dog pull right up to another dog on leash. And or don't just don't go up and invite yourself to pet another dog. Um, you know, it's always having that sort of asking for permission. But sometimes I think also what happens is um people might get themselves in a situation where they do get a little too close to a dog and owner who are working through leash reactivity issues because they miss some of the signs and signals from the owner and from the dog that might give them hints like, Oh, maybe I should give my dog a little bit more space passing by this dog. So what are some of the, you know, pre lunging and barking behaviors from the dog that people should look out for out on walks to spot like, Oh, that dog may have some reactivity issues. I should perhaps give them a wider berth. One of the things that I tend to notice first when I'm walking any of my dogs or a client's dog is the other dog will stop and stare with a stiff body and like a hard, hard stare, Um, even if we're at a distance um, and they'll be really fixated on me and my dog. Yeah. And what's tricky about that one is like you actually like. I always talk, we always talk about bulldogs, right? Like bulldogs will do that. And I have no idea if they want to throw down or if they want to have a party. I have, like, I I don't think that, but we've talked about this. I think it's because they don't know. (laughs) They're unsure too. Yeah. But like, but I know what that, because, so I just wanted to bring that up because I, there are dogs that see that and I'll cross the street. And I, again, like they could be completely friendly, but I cross the street because I have no idea which way that's going to go. And I love bulldogs I, I i absolutely they're hilarious but i uh, i find them really hard to read because that's sort of their approach to either greeting or getting in a scuffle it looks very similar to me and i still after 15 years and probably hundreds and hundreds of bulldogs that i've trained i still sometimes can't tell which way that's going to go but i would agree with you ella totally that like sort of fixed staring stiff body leaned forward like leaned out at the end of the leash is generally a um even if that's not a 100% accurate measure, yeah. that's not, that is often present in dogs who are, do have leash reactivity issues. Yeah. I would also add as far as um, a body language note that a, if they have a tail, unlike a bulldog, probably you won't see that, um, but it'll typically be like really high and stiff. Yeah. Yeah. We sometimes call those scorpion tails. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not always, it's not always accurate, but if you see it, you might want to give yourself a little extra room. I would agree with that. Yeah. Anyone else? 
Yeah, the staring, the staring, or just the over interest in you and your dog um, is always, a, yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's that's exactly what I was going to say as well. Is that there's some sort of over interest in you and your dog, and even if the dog is really interested, but you don't see like the stiffness um, because some, you know, as we know, some dogs are reactive because they just genuinely want to come over and say hi. So, um, so maybe their bodies are a little bit more wiggly, um, but it's still the over interest that you tend to see where like they, the inability to um, look away, sniff, engage with their handler. Those are typically the things that, um, that I see as well. Mm -hmm. I would say another one potentially that's usually an indicator that maybe someone's done some training, but not always is if you're approaching another dog and like you and your dog are approaching another dog and they see you coming and then they very obviously like turn their body body away and start sniffing the ground. Mm -hmm. They've pro they may not be reactive or they may be, but at the very least they've generally communicated like, Hey, I'm not very interested in saying hello. Yep. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I notice is usually the owner or the handler is trying very hard to get their engagement back from being so fixated or staring at me and my dog. So I can tell, okay, whether they're doing training, they've had done training or they haven't, the owner is almost foreshadowing, predicting that their dog is going to react in some way that is probably not going to be a positive one for us. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I would love to move into some of the owner behaviors because I think those are ones that people might miss sometimes. I mean, yeah. I think we miss the dog ones as well. If anyone has other dog behaviors specific that we feel like would be really helpful for people to know, certainly share them. Um, but also let's maybe move into some of the things that, yeah. that dog owners do. Well, I ju I'll just add in one more is also some of those dogs that hit the deck. Mm -hmm. They just like they flop down and they hit the, and and you see puppies do it a lot sometimes, or you see dogs who are just very friendly and that's how they get their owners to stop moving because they want to say hello. So sometimes it's okay, but there are some dogs that almost get into like pounce mode mm -hmm. and they do that. And then the, the reaction comes as the dog is walking past. So that was like the one other on the dog side that for me, if I see it, I'm usually just going to get, give a wide berth. Well, I think because even if the pounce is friendly, there usually is a pounce. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like not always. Sometimes they do just wait there until the other dog comes all the way up. But often there's like, yeah. there is a pounce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, what about behavior of the owners? It, certainly, Ella, I feel like I would agree with you. A lot of the attention focused on the dog um, is a common one. Can we, can we talk about moving between cars right 100%. now? 100%. Okay. Yeah. So if you see an owner moving out in between cars, they are almost certainly trying to keep their dog from reacting. There is no reason why somebody in the middle of Manhattan goes out in between two parked cars or goes around to the other side of the car, other than they're trying to create space and maybe a visual barrier with a dog that they find really challenging. Mm -hmm. And for the love of God, if you see someone moving out in between cars, please don't follow them. Like I, I, I can't tell you how many times, even just working with dogs, where people will follow you or pushing you into the street. Mm -hmm. Like you, like there has to be some sort of social awareness that, like this person is is taking sort of, you know, there's some risk when when you go yeah. out in between cars. Like you're trying to take that and allowing your dog to follow them out into the street is like really, really unkind. And you're making stuff more dangerous. Like, just keep moving. You don't even have to do anything different. Just don't let your dog pull pull, pull off in, in, into the you know into the cars. But I would say, like, because I see people doing that a lot, just trying to create that space. And uh, you know, it's it is sometimes just really frustrating how many times people allow their dog to sort of pull off and get closer when that's happening. So I would say that moving off in between cars, creating space, trying to do something where like they're indicating that they don't want closer social proximity mm -hmm. to you or your dog. Like they are moving away. If they're not making eye contact with you and sort of moving away, like just keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that's probably one of the biggest ones for me. Yes. And that's, I think to all of us, we've seen people do that. I feel like um, if you've done this, like I feel like new puppy owners can be especially prone to this. And I don't know if they're just in that mindset of like, I'm going to socialize my puppy and my puppy wants to go say hi to this dog. And they're not really 
thinking about the broader context, but definitely something to be mindful of. And I would agree, like also pay attention to body positioning. Mm -hmm. So certainly if someone moves away from you actively, like to the edge of the sidewalk or, or behind cars or that kind of thing, like certainly that's a clue and an indicator that they are not looking to interact and they're trying to give their dog more space. If they're also putting themselves between their dog and you, either by standing in between while their dog's in a sit or if they're walking past and you see them move their dog to the other side, right? So they're in between as a buffer. Those are generally going to be indicators that they're trying to create more space for their dog and they're trying to avoid an interaction and help their dog feel more comfortable. So be mindful of the owner's positioning and where they're putting themselves in relation relation to you and your approaching dog. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've seen when frequently is when you first, when you're handling a reactive dog and you're out and then you see another dog coming, you do actually make eye contact and look at that dog frequently. And what can be misinterpreted by the owner of that other dog is that because you are looking at them, that you are wanting to interact or talk to them. But what you're really doing is just gauging their proximity to you and Mm -hmm. seeing what direction they are coming and how can you move away from them. And so you are frequently doing like checks, you know, like looking. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're looking because you want to have a conversation. Um, it can just mean that you are, um, you are just trying to gather where they are in proximity to you. And then along with the other things that you described, which are like, if you are, if somebody is looking at you, but then look appearing like they are trying to move away from you versus looking at you and walking right towards you. Um, there's, there's that difference. So that's, that's something that I have seen a, a lot is that the looking at the other person, it doesn't mean that it's because you're trying to engage with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other ones, and I know this sounds silly to say, but I think it's important to share is talking also about things owners, like a lot of time an owner will say to someone who's approaching like, hey, she's not friendly. And I think sometimes folks hear that not from the perspective of that dog not being friendly, but of needing to verify qualities of their own dog, Mm -hmm. right? Like they almost hear it as a like, is your dog friendly? And, and it, that's not, that's truly not how it's meant. They're just trying to convey like my dog's not comfortable meeting, meeting other dogs on leash. So if you hear someone say, Hey, she's not friendly or Hey, she's not comfortable saying hello or or whatever it might be, resist the urge to respond with, Oh, it's okay. Mine is right. Right. Because in that moment, like that's not, that's not the information that that owner is trying to get to convey or the response they're trying to get back. Yep. Um, and it can, I think it'd be natural to just want to sort of affirm that like, no, it's okay. Mine is if you haven't been in those shoes of having the dog who does have trouble with greetings. Mm-hmm. But if someone says that to you, just take that as a note that has nothing to do with your dog and you, it's nothing personal. They're just trying to advocate for space for their own dog. And so if you hear that, okay, no problem. Just keep moving. Yep. Yeah. I would even add even if you don't have a dog and they say, Hey, my dog is not friendly and they need a little space. That doesn't mean like, Hey, I'm a dog person. I could, I, you're, they would love me that. Yes. Give them some space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I know. And it's so tempting Ella, right? Because it's like, we all just want to form these connections with dogs. Like we love I them. Know. Like we want to interact with them. And it's, it's hard not to, especially if you do sort of think of yourself as someone who dogs generally enjoy being around but respect what that owner is asking for, for their dog in that, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sort of when people say that they're, oh, I'm a dog person and they sort of just blow off like those types of things, like they're the most likely to get bit. Like I've seen in the past, like, like, cause it's, I honestly like, and again, like this might've been their experience cause they've never, they've never been around dogs with maybe with like some of these issues or whatever, but like, they're at some of the most risk of actually putting the dog in a really bad situation mm-hmm. because and because at the end of the day, if someone's having this conversation, it's not about you. It doesn't matter who you are like that, like that, that dog struggles and that owner's going to know if you're someone that their dog should interact with or not, or if they're ready to do that. So just really take that to heart. It's not about, they're not saying it's anything bad about you, but like it's, it's, it's much more complex than just who the other person is or who the, who, or, or who the other dog is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, yeah, I'm a dog person. You know, if you were truly a dog person, uh, you wouldn't be approaching dogs that way. Trainers don't do that. Dog professionals don't approach dogs that way. Uh, We allow them to come up to us. We can gauge, uh, we can read them. Um, And so we have a a really good idea of what that dog is comfortable with. So when people say, oh, I'm a total dog person, totally agree with you, Brian. They are more at risk to get bit because they are the people that are constantly imposing themselves on dogs. Yeah. And I think it's, if you've called yourself that, like, don't feel bad. It's probably that you do really enjoy interacting with dogs. If you really love them, then just challenge yourself to take it a step forward and say like, what does the dog want in this, in this situation? Yeah. Right. Don't make it about yourself. Actually go that step further. And instead of just loving interacting with dogs, like actually really love and advocate for dogs to be safe and comfortable. Yeah. You're almost there. Yeah, you are. Right. Like it's just, it's just that extra step of starting to view things from the dog perspective and say, do I interact with them? Yes or no, based on what they want and what the owner wants. Yeah. And I think it's just, and I I think the reason why there's probably a little bit of frustration in her voices is because we've had situations in the past where like this exact situation happened. Someone came up, said they were a dog person or someone's friend, like, oh, all dogs like me and they get bit. And then it's like, everything's the dog's fault. Like it all gets sort of cast back there. The dog's the one who pays for it on their terms. Now they have a bite history or, you know, like the owner might have to make other decisions depending on like what, like what happened. It's, it's really, I think we always just see like what happens when those are ignored. And unfortunately that real it always is going to fall back onto like, you know, the dog's going to take the blame for it regardless if the interactions were appropriate or not. And I know uh, also just, again, we shouldn't have dogs in situations where we think they're going to bite anyways. But the reality is, is life, life can be quick, but you know, life can happen. And so it's just sort of ignoring those signs or ignoring that communication can really put you in a bad position. And it really puts the owner and a dog in a really bad position that they probably wouldn't have been in otherwise. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Jessica, I wanted to pull out something from what you said about us as trainers, allowing dogs to be able to approach us. Um, but I've also seen that context kind of backfire, especially under the umbrella of we're dealing with like a frustrated dog and not necessarily a fearful dog or one we're worried about biting someone. But still in the name of training, we might be trying to just lessen the intensity and the enthusiasm and the excitement on our dog on leash where this approaching person sees this dog who is trying to approach them saying, hi, 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 hi. And we're like, oh, for the love of my training, for the love of dog please do not pet my dog and reinforce this. Um, so I think taking that step back and looking through not only what that dog is doing, but again, seeing that that full image of what is the person attached to this dog doing? Are they looking like they are okay with their dog having this interaction as well is another important puzzle piece there. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great point. Cause yes, there is that, uh, yeah, frequent inadvertent reinforcement when those overexcited greeters and then people just invade the space even faster because they're, they're trying to help the dog because <laughs> they can see that they are indeed so excited. I'm just on the end of the leash, like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. And so, and really there, it's just like defer to the owner. Yes. Right. Like, so when in doubt, just ask the owner. Yeah. Like, is your, you know, can your dog say hi? They say no. Okay. Keep moving. If they say yes, but can you wait a second or do it? Like just, just follow their instructions if you really want to do it, you know? And then knowing that the dog still has veto power. So even if the owner says yes, go ahead and say hello, but the dog's like avoiding or dropping their head or turning away, like the dog has said no. And yeah, you know, yeah. But, um, so I love all of those. So what we've talked all about, you know, common misconceptions and things that sometimes we can do to put leash reactive dogs and owners in in uncomfortable situations and put our own dogs in unsafe situations. So I think now moving into sort of actionable ways that owners of non-reactive dogs, like how can they help knowing it's not your responsibility, right? To facilitate the learning of another dog and owner, but how can they be helpful to reactive dogs out on walks while also protecting their own dog's safety. And before we get into some of the handling measures, I wanted to talk a little bit about just being able to assess your own dog's sort of agitation factor, right? Like how likely are they to be offensive or scary or frustrating to leash reactive dogs? And I know it varies widely, but I'm sure we all see common 
uh, physical characteristics or common behavioral characteristics of certain dogs that are more likely to elicit reactions from leash reactive dogs. So what are some of those factors that pop into mind for, for you all? Typically, when I'm working with a dog that is reactive, if I see a dog that is more excitable, I'm okay, that's probably going to elicit a response from my dog or a dog that might have matching reactivity. And what I mean is like their body language is more on the defensive, whereas they're doing that fixed stare, their body is tense and they're not really engaged with their own handler. Those are the things that I'm like, all right, we're going to create a little bit more distance or we're just going to avoid them altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That energy level, I feel like is a big one. Yeah. You know, that's, that's hard for a lot of reactive dogs. And yes, those dogs, to your point, if you have like the friendliest French bulldog in the world, but their pre-greeting behavior is leaning forward at the end of the leash with like all their little muscles made, <laughs> their ears and forehead wrinkles, and they're just waiting. <laughs> come say hello. Come say hello. Like That can still just be hard, even if the dog is friendly. Come say hello. I'm friendly. <laughs> it's very fun. But yeah, because because that can be like, again, like that forward, like mm-hmm. that more forward leaning thing that you said, or it could be like you have like a big doofusy puppy, right? Who's just like lovely and friendly, mm-hmm. but like they might not, they might not be even showing like sort of like that forward, more like bulldog type thing, but they're just really bouncy and excited. And that can happen a lot with, I know you mentioned puppies and stuff earlier, but I feel like, especially some of some of the larger breed puppies can bring that energy that, um, that can make other dogs uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So behavior wise. And then what I, I have a whole list of kind of physical characteristics that come to mind that I feel like a lot of dogs struggle with, but what, what comes top of mind, Jenna, what comes top of mind for you in terms of like physical characteristics of dogs? Big pointy, scary dogs. So your your huskies, your German shepherds, the dogs who just you look at them, and even if they're the goofiest, derpiest dog in the world, if you catch them just staring at them, they're they, they stare. They're intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing that a lot of the dogs on the reactivity spectrum are having feelings about other beings staring at them, that can be problematic despite their friendly intentions or even their ability to just walk right by you. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally agree. Jessica, do you have others that pop into mind? Definitely the pointy ears. Yeah. Huskies and um, any of the dogs that like naturally have um, tail carriage that naturally is higher on their bodies versus like a golden retriever where the tail is often lower. So I think that that's something that perhaps owners of those sorts of breeds don't know that when a dog is wanting to exhibit more like forward or intimidating body language, they will prick their ears forward and raise their tail over their backs. And um, that's actually a, a sign um, that um, is very intimidating for a lot of dogs, but because they naturally have pricked ears and a tail that that is set that way, uh, I mean, there's not really any, it's not their fault, right? But that's uh, would be why other dogs would be more likely um, to react to yours um, is because they're perceiving, um, they're perceiving it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I find some dogs, certainly size, like large dogs, a lot of times people are other dogs just do find a little bit more intimidating naturally. And then I think sometimes too, I've seen dogs really struggle with like just the really hairy dogs too, where you can't really see their eyes depending on their, their cut that they have or like, you know, and then I know size can play into that too. Like, I don't know, like a black Russian terrier is going to be a lot more intimidating than say like a, I don't know, 30 pound fluffy poodle mix or something. But I find sometimes that like a lot of that hair yeah. and hair covering the eyes can be challenging for dogs as well. Yeah. Intact dogs, if you have one. Yes. And certainly just be something to be mindful of that they're likely to be on the receiving end of more reactive behavior yeah. from other dogs. Yeah. And I would also add to just even dogs who might have some form of like physical disability. Mm-hmm. So if they have like three legs or they just, they move a little bit differently that, your dog is blind. Your dog is blind. So like that can, the dogs can, I think, perceive that as more like suspicious out of the ordinary movement, even though that dog is just trying to get through the, through the world. Um, so I think it's just good for, good to know if you have like, cause I, I think I probably see with three-legged dogs the most, mm-hmm. um, that, that movement. And like, we have to teach people, Hey, other dogs, there are going to be some dogs who find your dog a little bit more threatening because of the way they move. So you might just have to like be extra, pay, pay extra attention to, 
to the other dogs in the environment and those types of things. Yeah. And I think on that point as well, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the other one to be mindful of sometimes truthfully is puppies. Some leash reactive dogs like puppies exclusively, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're non-threatening and they're just, they know they're puppies and they're lovely with them. But there's a whole other set of dogs who have reactivity issues who just find puppies offensive, I think, right? Like there's just, there's not a lot of social awareness there yet because the puppies are experimenting and learning. So if you have a puppy, be extra mindful about, you know, maintaining a little personal space bubble for your puppy, because there's just a whole set of dogs who struggle with them more. Yeah. Yeah. Have we missed any there? Any big ones? I might throw in kind of a uh, not to not to keep throwing bulldogs under the bus, but <laughs> dogs that have limited facial features that are also typically accompanied by a doctor, no tail, you know, their their wrinkled faces do make mm-hmm. it harder for other dogs to decipher what conversation they're trying to have. And then we are lacking the tail. Um, sometimes we have cropped ears or docked ears that kind of make that conversation between the dogs a little less An example of what Jenna is referring to, I would say, is like a pug, too. (laughs) Their oogly eyes and their smushy face, and the same thing with the tail. (laughs) I've seen a lot of dogs that have these particular, I've been calling it smushy face syndrome just because Mm -hmm. (laughs) of dogs that some like, I can't see your face, I don't like it. (laughs) Yep. I'm I'm really glad you, you brought that one up. And like, yeah, we find pugs exceedingly cute depending what a dog was exposed to when they were younger and how often they've seen that, it can just seem a little odd. I would, I love that. I think any of those sort of more barrel shaped ones and some of those muscly dogs too, who tend to carry themselves a little more forward can just feel more intimidating. Yeah. 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 And again, it doesn't mean like any of this is your responsibility. It's just more like a heads up that, you know, other dogs are going to be more likely to find your perceived threat from your dog just because of the way they look or behave, mm-hmm. even though, again, it's not their fault. We have to understand that too. But if you know that, then paying attention to those signs and other things and just giving a little bit more of a wider berth. Yeah. And um, that's, again, that's totally for, that's a kindness to your own dog. Because right. again, one of over time, if your dog is in lots of situations where they end up trying to greet and they get, you know, snarked at or, or barked at or snapped at, then that can contribute to them developing issues over time. So if you have a dog who's really prone to being on the receiving end of reactions from other dogs, it's really good to know that and be mindful of creating space and maybe doing some extra rewarding around dogs and being really mindful of who they say hello to and how often that happens so that you can just protect their behavioral health on leash over the long term. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to just kind of chime back to the, uh, the smushy face dogs. Um, like two other things that came to mind there would be one, because they don't breathe like other dogs, they tend to be louder. And I find that that's a, a common thing for leash reactive dogs. If the other dog in question is loud, um, and not even because they're vocalizing, like as in, um, barking, but, they're breathing really heavily, or if they have really jingly tags, um, is another like yes. really common trigger for leash reactive dogs. If you are carrying super jingly keys or your dog is wearing, you know, a real jangly collar, I find that that would also be another common, uh, trigger. Yes. I love the noise one. And the other one, if you're in an inside area, and this is a good um, reason to keep your dog's nails properly trimmed, is like if they're excited and those nails on a floor, like I know certainly when we're working with dogs in our facility, and that is that is a noise that will trigger a reactive dog very quickly. Yeah. Excited nails on on flooring. Yeah. And that actually reminds me too, that's a good reason why if you have a reactive dog to make sure they're their tags aren't jingling because we, we do talk about that Mm -hmm. because it makes your dog more likely to be reacted at. So if you have a reactive dog and you're wearing jingly keys or jingly tags, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to get a reaction back at your dog, which makes it more likely for them to react back. So I actually love that one, Jessica, because I think that's important on both ends, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like if everyone could just not have jingly tags, it'd be awesome. Yes, please. (laughs) Just, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's let's get a sponsor from one of those tag silencer companies. Right? <laughs> there you go. The opportunity is waiting for you. Yes. <laughs> Contact us, please. <laughs> Absolutely. So so knowing your own dog, 
right? And sort of how likely they are to be an agitator through no fault of their own, just, you know, just from some of their physical characteristics or behaviors that they might have. Um, but then what else just out on walks? If we see, if you see some of those signs, right, from a dog body language wise or from an owner that tell you, hey, this might be a team that's working on some leash reactivity issues. What, what should you do? You know, at the most basic level, what can you do to keep your own dog safe and help out the other owner? Yeah. And we're going to go, are we going to do this in like kind of levels of helpfulness? I think so. Sort of like a, just getting through the day, point A to point B, right? You're like, you have to get your dog back inside to go to work yeah. sort of thing. And just sort of like, yeah, what's reasonable for like the, for the average dog owner, if mm -hmm. you're, if you're dealing with that. Okay. And then, and then if we want to do the above and beyond, we'll talk about that next, which yeah. no one's required to do. Exactly. And, and I think too, just as we go into this again, like you're not really, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're obeying all leash laws and laws and things like you know, again, not, none of this is your responsibility, but you can make it a lot easier on people in your community and also mm -hmm. help your dog. I uh, was going to say, I would argue at the most basic level of things that we're talking about, your this is, think about it as your responsibility to your own dog. Right. To keep them safe. And the, it's a bonus that it helps out the other people right. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, the most simplest thing that you could do is to give the team space. Walk around mm -hmm. them, yield to them. And I know in uh, areas more like New York, you're going to see the person, if they can't pull off to where they think their dog will stay under threshold, you're going to see the, the, the panic look around of where can I move to? And if you see that, if you are able, be the one to yield. Um, chances are that team is looking for their way out as well, but they might be stuck. Yeah, I think that... Um... Yes, the yielding. But I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is just your leash length. If your dog is six feet in front of you and there is somebody that's walk, trying to walk past you and your dog might swing to the side and then be six feet closer to that other person, I think that being mindful of your leash length is just is to me is just etiquette, um, regardless of who you're going to walk past whether it's a, a person or another dog, keep your leash a bit shorter. If you could also get in between you and your dog um, and whoever's going to be passing. So have your dog on the outside versus the inside. That said, it would be like just if that was all people did, I think that would make a huge difference um, mm -hmm. because it makes your dog more predictable in their positioning, which then makes it easier for other people to maneuver around you. Yeah, totally agree. But if people did those two things, it would be hugely beneficial to, to their own dogs as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think it could. I don't want to get into there's lots of reasons why dogs develop reactivity, but you could actually go a long way in potentially preventing reactivity from developing in certain dogs. Yeah. If that was all you did. Yeah. And um, I was going to just add to that, too, because, you know, especially when it's benefit for your own dog. So mm -hmm. you, you don't have the least reactive dog. I, I'm a really big fan of that. The default is we walk past dogs with your dog, like having sort of, and I always talk to clients about having like sort of two cues. So if you have a friendly dog, one cue that I use, and you can use whatever terms you want is let's go. And we're going to walk past the dog and you can reward them for walking past the dog or doing whatever. So like, we're just going to move past the dog. I'm going to reward you for just kind of minding your own business and moving past. And that's the default. And then there is like sort of the go say hi, where if I ask the owner if the dog's friendly and sort of going to say hi, and the reason why I bring that up is I do think I've had clients where they didn't have a reactive dog, but their dog pulled it. They had some of these concerns and having that every dog you see, you just make a decision. Are we walking past or are we actually going to say hello? And I think just getting into the mindset of default, like we just walk past, my dog gets used to it. They get rewarded for it. Um, one is going to keep your dog a lot safer. And then it's also going to make sure when they do go say hi, because you're actually checking with owners, you're going to know that they're confidently saying yes, that they can actually go say hi. So just to sort of piggyback on that, I know that's like a little bit. Um, a little bit more, but I do think that one additional thing on top of the space and moving your dog to the outside actually like just bumps that up exponentially. Yeah. I love that increased predictability, like tell your dog what to expect Yeah, yeah. when they encounter another dog. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so I think those are nice basics that are so helpful to your own dog and to other dogs out and about in the world. Um, if someone wanted to go above and beyond, right? If they're like, I really do love dogs and I would like to, I see, you know, I see like the, an owner and dog team out in my neighborhood working all the time and I'd love to be able to help them. 
right? What can someone do? Like, what's the best way for them to approach that situation? Anyone have immediate thoughts? I have some, but I think as like a, a baseline, like the very least is asking, you know, is it okay that we're walking over here? Like asking if this proximity is okay. Um, can we continue to walk here? I see that you're training. I see that you're working with your dog. Is it okay that we stay right here? Or do you need more space? Mm. Yeah. 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 I've done that before. I love that. That just, or, and sometimes it's even like, Hey, is it okay if we pass? Yes. Or would you rather I go around? Right. Like if that can go a long way. And again, that's not at the baseline what you have to do, but that can be so appreciated. That oh, it'll be out. appreciated. Mm-hmm. Like that'll make that person's day yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes too, depending again, if they're really focused and their dog is really struggling or on the verge of reacting, then like probably best to just be quiet. But a, certainly if you're, even if you're out without your dog and you see them out working, like a quick little, like, Hey, nice job. And yeah. just keep moving. Like don't linger, you know, don't try to make it more than that, but just like, yeah. Or like nice sit or yeah. like, yeah. Well, oh, great attention. Like, you know, just little specific things and keep moving. I feel it can make someone feel like, Oh, it's, it's worth it. Like, yes, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. noticed that I'm do I'm trying really hard to help my dog. Yeah. Um, so I feel like sometimes those little comments, but made at the right time, you know, if this, if someone's trying to really struggle to like just physically control their dog because a reactions in the midst of happening are about to happen, probably not the best time because they need all their mental resources, you know, just focused on the dog at that moment. Um, and you never know how that comment may land in that moment. They just may hear it in a different way. Yeah. Um, but I feel like sometimes those little toss outs of just acknowledging how hard they're working can be really appreciated. Yeah. Um, the other one too is, and this is sort of like, you know, a plus helpful <laughs> and you might have to do it when you see that like, th- these are usually going to be people right in your community, like probably on your block or very close and you see them working on stuff and especially if you see them like actually working and maybe making some progress, like, you know, one of the things that we've had, we've had this happen in our instinct group, like in our client support group or, you know, at our different locations, it's just like asking someone, Hey, like I see you're working on stuff. Is it like, is it safe? Or would you like to do like a parallel leash walk someday? Cause like, I do feel like that's like a really, if you really wanted to like actually take a step further and actually off, cause that could be a re like so relieving for someone that they could actually maybe just go out, like go out and do a parallel leash walk. And again, it has to be safe and you have to make sure there's always going to be some risk. You'll have to ask the owner, like, is it safe to do a parallel leash walk? Does, you know, all those things, but hopefully that conversation will come up. But I, I, I think there's been a lot of clients where they've had people in their neighborhoods actually rec- ask something like that. Cause mm-hmm. they know them outside of just seeing them with the dog or they see them in the coffee shop or whatever that can be like, that's just like above and beyond. And like for that dog to actually just even have a friend that they can go on a parallel leash walk with, without any up close interactions. And maybe it gets there. Maybe it doesn't depending mm-hmm. on the dog that would be sort of above and beyond. And we've seen people do that for our clients. And I know how grateful like they actually were for it. So, and I think with that, if you're doing it is just making sure that, you know, give that owner lots of permission to bow out and say no. Yes. Right. Like, Hey, if they're not ready for it, or if my dog's not a great fit for your dog or whatever it might be like, totally fine and totally understand, but I wanted to ask. So make sure they would feel very comfortable saying like, Oh, thank you so much. But we're not there yet, you know? And then I think also uh, making sure that if you get to that point where you're doing those activities together, like really allow the leash reactive team to sort of drive the bus, like resist the urge to push for, Hey, do you think maybe they should, maybe they should just say hello, hello Mm -hmm. now, right? Like if they look like they're doing really well, maybe we should just let them play. It's so tempting if you see them doing well, but let that team drive what comes next. Yeah. But I think what's nice, like there have been just good Samaritans in communities that have really helped some of these dogs and just gave them opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, again, let let them drive the bus, but I, I am thinking of some, some people who did that and it's like, that's pretty friggin' cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, I love those. Does anyone else have other thoughts on that, that front? Yeah. 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 I was thinking of, um, so I was thinking of when you are seeing a team who has, uh, you know, or you just see somebody who's trying to have their dog respond to them, 
two things. Normally when you have a leash reactive dog, you're probably going to do one of two things. So you're either going to move off to the side and be stationary while that other person goes by you, or you might try to get past the other person might be trying to get past you really quickly. So some of the things that I do if I'm out and with my dogs and I see a dog that's reactive, if I could see that they are stationary and that dog's having a hard is probably going to have a hard time or is already having a hard time. I just make a point to just do a much wider berth. So I go way out of that dog's threshold and I try to get past as quickly as possible. I don't Mm -hmm. try to just linger around. I kind of cue my dogs, come on, let's move on, you know, really quickly. Let's not, you know, continue agitating this dog. So I will do things like that. Or if I see that that handler is going to want to move past me very quickly, I will actually move my dogs off to the side um, mm-hmm. because it's it's frequently easier for a reactive dog to pass a dog that's stationary than is moving. Um, so I tend to move my dogs off to the side, keep them close, have them also focused on me because mm-hmm. it takes away that social pressure of my dog staring at another dog. So mm-hmm. I tend to do things like that. Yeah, no, I love those. Yeah, because stationary and staring can be tricky. But stationary yeah. with attention off of them is like, that's that's often where we're starting. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that. But those are great tips. Yeah. Good. Well, this was, I hope, I hope this was a little bit of a enlightening or interesting conversation for folks. Again, I hope it doesn't come across as you should know better. No. Like we have so many clients who come in with leash reactive dogs who will say in the same breath and same sentence, like, oh, someone said something or someone let their dog pull up. And I was that person with my last dog who was so friendly. And I had just, I never knew this was a thing. And now I got this dog and I realize like, you know, I was someone who did that. So there's no judgment here. We just really wanted to do this episode because it's such a common issue. It is a little bit misunderstood. And generally folks who have a dog who has leash activity issues most of them are working hard to try and help their dog get through the day with as few reactions as possible. And so, yeah, we thought it'd be fun to just talk about ways that you can help your own dog and and help out others in the community as well. Yeah. So yeah, so that's everything for our episode today. Uh, Hope it was helpful and we'll see you next time. See ya.